electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bank earnings and a calmer situation in the UK, helping send markets sharply higher to start the week. NASDAQ leading the charge. Look at that, up 3.4%. This is the make or break hour for your money. Welcome, everyone, to Closing Bell. I'm Sarah Eisen. Here's where we stand right now in the markets, higher across the board. We're near the session highs. High of the day up for the Dow is up 677. We're up about 555 or so. But it's a broad rally. The S&P 500 up 2.6%. Every sector is higher right now. The leaders are the places that have been hit the hardest during this bear market. Communication services, technology, communicate, uh, consumer discretionary is actually the leader up 4%. That is quite a rally right now. But again, everything's working. Consumer staples and energy, the least best, but they're each up more than 1% a piece. Coming up on the show today, market expert David Rosenberg weighs in on the sharp Monday rally, tells us if he thinks it's just a bear market bounce, which I suspect he does. Let's get straight, though, to this market rally with the senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli. Mike, it's pretty broad, although I would yes. note that treasuries are not moving a whole lot. No, we did get a little back up in yields to start the morning. I think it did relax the equity market a bit, but the 10-year back to that 4% level. So could present a little bit of a test right here. If you broaden it out a little bit, look at the S&P 500. We're basically today adding back what was lost on Friday. So it brings the S&P back to that level of the close on Thursday after that very dramatic kind of five percentage point uh, low to high swing on Thursday. Now, it doesn't really get you too far off the year-to-date lows. You can try to make the case that the market hasn't really made a lot of net downside in the last four months. This right here is June 16th. Not sure how far that gets you. It could start to become defined as a little bit of the lower end of a trading range, if we're lucky. Volume's a bit light today, even though breath is very, very strong skewed uh, to the upside. So all that stuff into the mix. Now, as we get into earnings season, uh, we're going to start to know just exactly how much the forecast might have to be adjusted, revised lower, higher, whatever. But we're not paying nearly as much for each dollar of those earnings as we have before. Take a look at the valuation of the market. Forward PEs across the board broken into pieces here. S&P 500, certainly not cheap, but you're in the 15s right now. Uh, forward earnings, this is the 12-month forward. Then you have the equal-weighted S&P, uh, a good deal less expensive. It's around 13 and a half times, and it takes you back to these levels that you would have seen, you know, pretty much around the late 2018 sell-off. Obviously, we plunged briefly below that in, uh, in early 2020. And then, of course, small caps, very cheap. you got to go back 20 years or so. Now, the pushback, of course, is that the earnings estimates are likely to go down. And that's sort of, uh, I grant that, and there's no doubt about it, but the valuation being compressed, part of that is expressing uh, some doubt as to the forward estimates. And it's not as if every point along this chart, people were certain that the estimates were going to hold up. I brought up the tenure also because, Mike, you know, lately that's been the market's concern, yeah. right? Higher interest rates, what the Fed is going to do, the fact that inflation's not coming down very quickly. I don't know if we can show the tenure yield right now. Matt Maley of Miller Tabak pointed this out that if the level of interest is going to be a headwind for the stock market right. as long as it stays high or continues to rise. So if we don't see it coming down meaningfully, he doesn't think this can be more than a one or two day bounce on oversold conditions. Right. Because that is the fundamental headwind we are facing. That is without a doubt the main headwind. It brings up the cost of capital for everything, for equity and everything. That's why markets go down. However, I pointed before, S&P is right now at the same level it was in mid-June. Where was the 10-year in mid-June? 
three and a half at the Lower. peak. Three and a half at the peak. So you can sort of get a push pull and a little bit of a two steps forward, one and a half steps back, or vice versa. I guess my point is it's absolutely a headwind as long as it's going up. If it's making new highs, not good. But it's not as if there's a perfect level of the stock market for that corresponds to each absolute level. Well, and you're saying it's not the only it's not exactly there are other things involved, including the Bank of England, which and and, and the British government, which appears to be coming to its senses and calming markets down. Mike, thanks. We'll see you later. Mike Zantoli, the banks are a big part of today's jump after strong results from Bank of America and BNY Mellon. I did speak last hour on Power Lunch with Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan about what drove his results in the third quarter. Listen. As rates rise up, our zero interest deposits, which are a core part of our franchise and our low interest checking, obviously become a lot more valuable. And that's where you saw the, the strong gain in NII, not only year over year, but also late quarter, up over a billion plus from second quarter to third quarter. And we told people it'd be up over a billion in the fourth quarter, billion a quarter. And that, that's the earnings power coming back as the rate structure comes off the floor. It was that for a couple of years during the pandemic. That is the key. For more on Bank of America earnings, let's bring in Mike Mayo from Wells Fargo. Just increased estimates for Bank of America to street high. BAC was also his top pick going into earnings. He joins us on the news line. It was the right call because we're seeing the biggest reaction, Mike, up more than 6%. And that is really the thing here, right? There's sensitivity on interest rates going higher. That's what's working, right? Uh, Yes, but that's not the complete story. Look, it's showtime for Bank of America. And Act One looks great. It takes higher interest rates to show the strength of their deposit relationships. It's a lot more sticky than a lot of people thought, and that helps the traditional banking revenues. But it also takes more business to show the scalability of the model, the benefit of a decade of tech investments. Over the last three months, Bank America added almost $2 billion in revenues and zero in expenses. That is scalability. And it also takes a weaker economy to show the strength of the bank loan portfolios. And Bank America's credit, their loan portfolios, still looks great. I, it's, I don't think it's too early to talk about a re-rating, not talking about Bank America's stock going from a little more than half of the P.E. of the stock market as a whole back to where it's been, like two-thirds or three-fourths. But even above that, once you get past this recession, I think Bank America will re-rate higher possibly. Even if they don't do that, we still see the stock about doubling over the next one to two years. But the problem, Mike, is what the market is concerned about, and that is recession and a turn in the credit cycle. And even if we're not seeing it now, even Moynihan acknowledged that that they're gearing up for a change. And that's why the stock is underperformed. Isn't that a risk? Absolutely. I mean, if we have a hard landing, then, you know, all bets are off and you have potential one-third downside in the stock. Uh, if you don't, you can have a double over, you know, one to two years. So, you know, reward-to-risk ratio looks pretty good at three to four times. So that is a risk. Um, we're not seeing it in the bank results right now. Um, and, by the way, we already have credit losses and credit costs, you know, doubling over the next few quarters. So it's not like it's not in our models. And even with that, you know, we're about 15% above consensus for 2023. So Bank America, it it really is a microcosm for the benefit of what bank regulators forced on banks for the last 10 to 15 years, de-risk, more resilient uh, business model. uh, And what Bank America specifically has done, you know, investing technology, having these digital interactions, and getting that scalability. That is what's really underappreciated here. So 
it's like a, a, a ship going through a storm. Yes, there's a storm out there. It could get worse. Uh, but what I found remarkable in your interview is that, um, you know, he's not positive. The CEO of Bank America is not positive for the next four quarters. He said he expects negative, negative GDP growth. growth. Yeah. Negative growth. Even while he expects negative growth, he's giving guidance that implies, you know, much higher earnings. And so that is the difference. That's why it's night and day versus before the global financial crisis. And one of the problems here is that there's so many investment professionals that have only seen one recession, the global financial crisis. Well, every recession is not a global financial crisis, and every recession is not a credit crisis for banks. And so I think what you'll see here is banks will outperform through the recession because a lot of the greatest risk has been pushed outside of the U.S. banking industry. That's not to say you won't have blow-ups, and there is a risk for banks to have a ricochet effect from blow-ups outside the banking industry. It is to say, though, they've de-risked to an extent that's likely to lead to better uh, than expected results. Now, I did say this is Act 1. So Act Mm 1 for Bank of America looks great. I mean, the results today, you know, higher, 8% higher revenues in three months, flat expenses, great credit quality. I mean, this is a great Act 1, but it's only Act 1 of maybe a four-act play. Um, And so we'll have to still monitor this, but right now it looks pretty good. Why, why, why is it di- different or distinct than, say, J.P. Morgan, which also has the scalability that you talk about? Look, J.P. Morgan is a leader uh, in technology. We talk about uh, the industry in J.P. Morgan and Bank America transitioning to digital banking 2.0, where they offer products, relationships, experiences, connections that were never possible in analog form. I think Bank America, though, is showing greater financial discipline, you know, going more incrementalist uh, and showing greater uh, uh, distance between revenue growth and expense growth. So, you know, look, our price target in J.P. Morgan's higher. We're not recommending that now. We think Bank America is more in the sweet spot, more in the sweet spot for monetizing their deposits, more in the sweet spot for showing the scalability of the model without investing uh, the the, the windfall from higher rates. And by the way, it's not really a windfall. It's, they've, they've worked for this for a decade, uh, but showing more financial discipline uh, in letting the benefit fall to the benefit of investors. You expect this and $55 target? You expect a, a doubling of the stock even, you said, in the next few years? Yeah, so that's over one year, $55. Uh, we do think over the next one to two years we can see a doubling in Bank of America stock. By the way, that's not factoring in re-rating. When I'm when we talk about a re-rating of Bank America stock, that's above where it had historically been. This price target and the doubling is simply going back to where they had been before. So absent a hard landing, then we think that's where Bank America goes. All right. Pretty bullish. Mike Mayo, thank you for joining us from Wells Fargo, senior banking analyst there. Appreciate it. With that stock leading the financials, which are strong outperformers. By the way, Goldman Sachs set to report earnings tomorrow morning. Don't miss an exclusive interview with CEO David Solomon, 7.30 a.m. on Squawk Box. Let's show you where we are overall in the market, up 541 or so on the Dow. S&P's up 2.6%. The Nasdaq up three three and a quarter percent right now. You've got a lot of winners in the tech space. Clearly, whether it's a relief rally, some, some pressure coming off of the yields, what's happening in the U.K., Strong rally we've got on our hands. Small caps up almost 3%. Coming up, David Rosenberg from Rosenberg Research will join us to break down what he sees the market doing from here with his somewhat negative view we've heard lately on the economy. We'll be right back on Closing Bell. Don't go anywhere.
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. A broad rally right now across the board. We're seeing the S&P 500 up 2.6%. Look at the NASDAQ, which is outperforming today. It is up more than 3%. Joining us now is Ben Emmons of Medley Global Advisors. Mike Santoli still with us, of course. Ben, are you, are you buying or do you just view this as we've seen other big rally days as a, as a bear market bounce? It still looks like a bear market bounce, Sarah. I think that um, it's encouraging to see this across the board rally. But, you know, as Mike will probably also uh, uh, confirm is that we've seen this before, right? We've seen now, I think, the last three weeks, if you get a bounce, it's across the board, every sector. And then the following day, it's taken back. So we're obviously dancing in earnings. I mean, today's numbers from Bank of America were, were good for consumers. And it immediately translates to consumer discretionary with, you know, Amazon as a big index heavyweight and driving up the stock market. But... Just be wary because I think as much as the risk out of the UK is now somewhat diffused, there's more CPI data coming out, including from the UK. I think that will become a next big focus for markets as we try to move towards these earnings. Ben's right. Amazon is the leader right now in the in the triple Qs. Apple, Microsoft, Tesla, Meta, NVIDIA, they're all working today, and that's leading to a big rally. But I do wonder if, if earnings season, and we got a reminder from Bank of America, can be a source of relief. Yeah. I think there's potential for that without a doubt. Um, you know, estimates came down outside of energy by seven percentage points heading into the numbers. It seems like they'll be achievable. Typically, corporate America is going to warn you if they're going to miss big. So I think that to the extent that the rest of the world allows us to, to focus on those things, yes, then I think it can be uh, a bit of relief. The question with every rally lately has been, is the bond market going to permit it, as we were just talking about a little while ago? Uh, are Fed speakers going to overtly <laughs> try up. to push back? against it. We don't have any Fed speak today. I think maybe only Wednesdays when we'll have it. Um, So you have to put that into the mix with, okay, you have a suspect bounce or an untrustworthy one. At the same time, the seasonal factors are starting to work in your favor. Uh, Sentiment, all these atmospheric conditions start to look like the risk reward might be getting slightly better. But again, those are the softer elements as opposed to the hard, don't fight the Fed uh, type of uh, factors. And just to the point of big rallies, in the last, I was just looking at this, 19 or 20 trading days. There have been five up days, including today. The smallest gain of the five up days is 1.97%. So They're really big. You get these big pops, and then they haven't really strung together. Well, it's, it's reminiscent of other yes, bear markets exactly. and crisis-type periods. My, my question, Ben, is specifically around technology heading into earnings. If there's a broader opportunity 
beyond a day or two just because of these valuations have been hit the hardest? Yeah, I think there is, Sarah, because, you know, I was looking at EPS forecasts and the, the technology has now come up so hard in EPS growth and it looks like to be bottoming, at least by estimates. So if you do believe that you're going to get an environment where, you know, as bottom is right over the weekend, we're going to get a bullish case for markets because we're reaching to a level of rates that push down inflation and knowing that technology is so sensitive to interest rates and you're seeing these EPS growth estimates start to move up again out of the trough, then for big tech that becomes an interesting opportunity. You play the conservative names, say like a, a Microsoft, but it, I think it's an interesting moment here. Conservative names like Microsoft, would you put Apple, would you put, I don't know, Tesla? That doesn't seem very conservative. Right, so, I, I, so I'm not, full disclosure, not the analyst on Tesla or any of those names, but let's put it this way in a broader context, right? Technology is still a big driver of growth in the economy. Um, it's making its adjustments. It's, it's overhired. It's probably showing up in employment numbers. So if you think of big tech, it's obviously related to uh, interest rates as the economy adjusts to inflation. So that's still your big, big macro factor here driving these stocks. But I was encouraged to see the EPS estimates at least being, you know, troughing, so to speak. So I think you're getting to a, a point where. Yeah, they're going, you're going to be able to, to capture an opportunity again for upside. Ben Emmons, thank you very much for joining me. By the way, Tesla rallying about 6.5%, and then Amazon another 65 makes consumer discretionary by far the best part of the market, up more than 4%. But you've also got a nice rally in some of these casinos and retail names like TJX, Best Buy, Ross Stores. It's broad. Let's show you what's happening overall, just again, because we're up 2.6%. On the S&P 500, the Nasdaq's up almost 3.3% right now. Uh, small caps joining the party up almost 3% as well. After the break, we're going to take a closer look at what is driving tech today with the Nasdaq outperforming. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. The Dow is up 557 points. 29 out of 30 Dow stocks are higher, which just gives you a sense of the better breath as the traders say, of this rally. The biggest contributor to the Dow gains, Microsoft, United Healthcare, Goldman Sachs, and Home Depot. You've got every sector positive in the S&P 500. Consumer discretionary leads the charge. Consumer staples lags, but it is up 1.2%. Up next, David Rosenberg weighs in on this rally and whether it could be more than a bear market bounce. And then later, we're going to talk to an analyst who is getting bullish on the chip stocks. He'll reveal his new buy ratings when Closing Bell comes right back. Strong rally here into the close. The Nasdaq's having a blowout session, making new highs up 3.4%. New session highs, that is. Let's get to Christina Partsinevelis, who's at the Nasdaq market site, with a look at some of the drivers behind tech's bounce, Christina, and what you're hearing about 
the case for tech right now. Yeah, well, there seems to be a little bit of a sentiment shift, a bull case for tech that's gaining traction. And there's several reoccurring themes that I'm finding in recent analyst research. Firstly, the multiples have compressed. Companies have guided lower, for example, like AMD. The foreign exchange fluctuations may already be priced in, this according to Wedbush. And the China export ban may be overblown as it focuses primarily on high-tech AI chips and not all of the smartphone chips, and this according to Bernstein Research. So, of course, all of these factors no doubt can get a lot worse. But with much of the Nasdaq and over a quarter of the S&P 500 representing technology, this sector is critical to any index move higher. So where should investors move? City likes software names like Intuit and Workiva because of stable end markets. And you can see those, look at that, Intuit is up 6%. Both of those companies up 6%. And then you've got Jabil for its IT hardware presence in EVs, that stock up 3%. And then Wedbush likes cybersecurity names like Zscaler and Palo Alto for the resilience in volatile markets. And then lastly, Trivariate Research warns names like Snowflake, Atlassian and Enphase are overcrowded and could be subject to extra volatility, which is expected in the coming months. Sarah? And some of those movers are at the, at the very top of the market right now. Zscaler, Datadog, Atlassian, all up 7, 8, 9%. Christina, thank you. Christina Parsonevelis. For more on the big rally, let's bring in Rosenberg Research founder David Rosenberg, who, let me guess, David, thinks this is a bear market rally and there's nothing to be excited about. Am I right? Well, I mean, and I'm not saying you can't be excited about a, a bear market rally, but we all know that these are rallies that you can rent. Uh, you don't want to own them. Uh, so you you want to have your hedges uh, and exit strategy in place, but uh, it is a bear market rally. It's got all the hallmarks of a bear market rally. We've seen six of these already. You know, it reminds me of uh, of um, Warren Buffett's famous line about you know the one thing that uh, we uh, th- that we know about history is that people don't learn from history. Uh, but you know, the biggest rallies in the market historically have actually happened in bear markets not bull markets and this is one of them we, this is this is the seventh bear market rally this year and we're still down what 23 percent on the s p 500. so one pushback is is on what we're hearing from corporate america and today was bank of america david i talked to brian moynihan last hour about what he is seeing right now from the consumer just want to play you this quick clip is there stress for certain consumers out there? No question, but they're employed and earning money and their account balances at Bank of America continue to be uh, flat August to September for cohorts they, they had two to thousand, two to 5,000 before the pandemic, an average of 3,400. They're sitting with 13,000 account and it's not going down. It continues to be flattish and, and it was growing early in the year and now it's flat. That means they have money to spend. That's really good news, isn't it? Well, you know, the, the thing is that these bank CEOs uh, talk about consumer spending in, in nominal dollars. Uh, so he's not talking about volumes or, or the impact of what inflation has done. Uh, and we saw that firsthand with last Friday's, uh, you know, retail sales number, uh, Sarah, when you look at real retail sales. And remember that recessions are not nominal variables. Recessions are about physical uh, inputs uh, into the economy. And uh, real retail sales were negative 2% at an annual rate in the third quarter. Uh, That's already baked in the cake, and we have negative momentum being built into the fourth quarter. So it's nice to talk about, you know, before COVID and before this inflation burst that we've had, it'd be nice to talk about nominal dollars in a 1% to 2% inflation world, sure. But what does nominal dollars mean when inflation is running at 8%? So, you know, what he's talking about, really classic 
money illusion. Uh, that's really what he's talking about. In real terms, consumer spending is actually starting to contract. I, he did. He did break down the spending picture and divided it by transactions, which are clearly up less than the dollar amount, to, to show that it was still growing, even yeah. even with with inflation. I think the point is that we're not hearing all bad news. Certainly from the banks, we're, we're going to get some other some other earnings really really soon. But that that there is a lot a big cushion in the U.S. economy for dealing with no doubt our huge headwinds in the, in the form of rate shocks and price shocks. Yeah, and, and a lot of that cushion was the lagged impact of the stimulus checks uh, from last year. And, and that cushion is subsiding uh, at a very quick rate. You, you know, what is happening actually is you're seeing credit card balances balloon uh, and um, at really at, uh, uh, you know, interest rates that are 16, 17, 18 percent because uh, people are actually using their credit card, you know, to buy essentials. Uh, and that was the big story, actually, Sarah, when you look at the retail sales numbers mm -hmm. and you see what people are spending money on, uh, they were spending money on food and spending money on drugs, uh, pharmaceuticals, essentials. Uh, the hallmark, really, of the retail sales number that just came out was that everything else was down negative uh, 0.1% month over month. And that's nominal, real terms, even more negative. So look at the pattern of what people are spending money on. They are pulling back from the economic sensitive items. And, you know, we can talk about the banks and, uh, you know, they were priced at or below book value. Um, so they were extremely depressed. They were down like 35% uh, from their highs. Mm -hmm. And so they're seeing a, a nice bounce indeed. But the conference boards, the co conference board produces a quarterly uh, survey on uh, on business confidence. I wrote about it today. Uh, and it's gone down, uh, you know, to its lowest levels um, almost on record. Uh, I think the only time historically where it was weaker for the fourth quarter, CEO confidence, not just the banks, but the entire mm. gamut of uh, private and public companies, um, were down to their second lowest level on record. That, that really tells you something was happening in the broad economy from a corporate side. David Rosenberg, well, thank you for the, the views. We always appreciate it. Weighing in today on, on what he calls the bear market rally. We're up 600 points right now on the Dow, continuing to climb in this final hour. S&P 500 up two and three quarters percent. The Nasdaq zooming, it's up three and a half percent. Again, it's, it's being led by the biggies. Amazon, Apple up nicely, a big move for Amazon. In fact, you don't see this every day, six and a half percent higher. So whether it's a, a relief rally, a bounce, a better tone, a better view to, toward what's happening overseas and, and in the U.S., thanks to what we're hearing from corporate America, Apple's up three percent. So it is strong and it is broad. We're gonna have much more uh, as we head into the final minutes of trading. And then also up next, Wall Street is buzzing about Fox and News Corp, moving in opposite directions as Rupert Murdoch is exploring recombining the companies. We'll bring you the latest. And as we had to break, check out shares of Kano Health. It's one of the few stocks sitting out this rally. According to a published report, CVS is walking away from merger talks with Kano, sending those shares sharply lower. We'll be right back. What is Wall Street buzzing about? The Murdoch empire, Fox and News Corp, moving in opposite directions after the companies announced they were exploring whether to merge again nearly a decade after they split. Julia Borston joins us now. What is the rationale and how close is this to actually happening? 
Well, the rationale is that now size matters. These companies need heft. They need to be able to have um, greater scale to be able to negotiate. Now, the interesting thing is looking at the fact that both of these stocks were downgraded today um, by a couple of different analysts from buy to hold. But the thing about Fox is that after those entertainment assets were sold off to Disney, it was sort of a pure play news sports um, and did not have its own streaming service, relying instead on ad-supported Tubi. So a lot of investors like the fact that Fox was different. Now, combining with News Corp, which performed better than many had expected um, back when the two companies split up almost a decade ago. Now the question is, what kind of synergies are they really going to have? What are the advantages? How much cost cutting, et cetera? Got it, Julia. And, And do we know about whether this is actually going to materialize? Well, they're looking at it. I mean, I think that they would like to make this happen. And this is not the first time we've seen companies that have split up come back together. The most notable comparison is, of course, Viacom, CBS. Those two companies split up, then they remerged. Now they're called Paramount. So I think this would be a very similar situation, except for now, many of those Fox assets are part of Disney. Yeah, I mean, the interesting reaction to Fox down to a 52-week low, 10% 10 or so, uh, is notable. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Roblox rocking today on strong monthly user growth. We're going to discuss whether investors should buy this stock, which is still down nearly 60% this year. That story plus bank stocks are booming and an analyst turning bullish on the chips when we take you inside the market zone. We are now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here to break down these crucial moments of the trading day. Plus, we've got Leslie Picker here on the banks and Sensor Towers Anthony Bartolacci on Roblox and Netflix. Roblox making a huge move higher today. We'll kick it off with the broader market, though. The Nasdaq 100 up 3.6 percent, obviously in rebound mode. And Mike, you were pointing out how common this is to see during a bear market when you see these snapbacks. I think yeah. the shorter term trading question would be how, how long could it last? Because we've, we're coming from an, another very negative sentiment oversold kind of place. Right? Yes, we are. And that's why you have to have a little bit of an overlay of, of skepticism. On the other hand, one of these is going to stick, or at least it's going to carry farther than people are positioned for. So that is the is the push-pull. One of the takeaways of the response to the U.K. reversal in policy is that maybe much of the prior few weeks' weakness was partly about that, too. In other words, unwind and fear related to what that meant in the U.K. and the yields blowing out over there. And maybe the bear case in the very short term coming into the weekend required something uh, in the way of some kind of a blow up to to really get traction. So you don't want to you know, over extrapolate. But I would see all those things in the mix right now as we do still have an oversold market entering a good seasonal part of the year. My, I don't know. The takeaways on the U.K., just as far as what it means for the Fed and everything, is the market does not seem to want fiscal largesse right now, clearly. Want, no. Wants to see fiscal discipline. But at the same time, appears to be pushing the Fed and other central banks to, to slow down. Absolutely slow down. I, I wouldn't say reverse. I think the market is very impatient for clarity on the moment of when we're there, uh, wherever we're going to. When are we going to get there and what's that level? Um, it keeps getting pushed out. The Fed seems like it's going to continue to to want to be aggressive in pushing that moment out. Um, although we'll see, because you started to see the makings of a little bit of disagreement last week in terms of Fed speaker emphasis on the potential risk of over tightening uh, as well. 
Got it. Look at the bank stocks sharply higher today after Bank of America beat Wall Street's earnings estimates as rising net interest income did offset slowing investment banking activity. Earlier on Power Lunch, I did speak with CEO Brian Moynihan, who said the bank is holding its reserve base based on bleak economic picture and that they are prepared for whatever happens. Listen. Our reserves that we put up this quarter are built on a 5% unemployment in the fourth quarter of 22 and a 5.5% employment all during 23. That's how conservative in the reserve building. We put up those reserves already. So the idea is that the way the rules work and accounting works and everything, you're putting up based on scenarios. And our, our scenarios you know, weighted you know, 40% to very adverse scenarios, which have high inflation and high unemployment built in. And when you average those together, the the, the the reserve is built on five and a half percent unemployment. So we are prepared for the hurricane. We're prepared for the whatever happens next. I was trying to ask him if he agrees with Jamie Dimon on whether we're going to have a hurricane. Clearly, he said that he's prepared if that happens. Investors will get another read on the banks tomorrow when Goldman Sachs reports results. Leslie Picker joins us. Leslie, what is the key thing to watch out of Goldman tomorrow after Morgan Stanley was a miss and some of the the other banks like JPM, Wells Fargo and Bank of America that are tied more to the economy in these higher rates did better? Yeah, so this quarter, Sarah, to your point, was definitely met with a bifurcation of those banks and in, in that side of things, JP Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, far more rate sensitive, City also in that camp. And then on the other side, you've got Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, which are much more exposed relative to their peers uh, to investment banking, sales and trading. Goldman Sachs very strong historically in fixed income currencies and commodities, which saw some decent tailwinds during the quarter. Uh, however, there's just been a massive slump in investment banking across the board. There's no indication that Goldman Sachs will escape that during the quarter. Also, interestingly, we're anticipating a reorg, uh, which has been heavily telegraphed uh, in the media today, which would basically be the second reorganization of Goldman's business during David Solomon, uh, CEO David Solomon's tenure at the firm over the past four years or so, which would make it look a little bit more like its peers in terms of a reporting standpoint. Asset and wealth management in one bucket, investment banking, sales and trading in another bucket, and then newer consumer businesses, including recent acquisitions in a third bucket. So that is something to look for tomorrow. Any announcements on that front, as well as, of course, what it's done in its kind of core competency with regard to investment banking and sales and trading. Got it. Thank you, Leslie. We will look for all of that. Also, there's an exclusive interview tomorrow with Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon on CNBC, 7.30 a.m. on Squawk Box. Look at Roblox shares. They're surging right now. Huge turnaround for a stock that is down nearly 70 percent from a record set just over a year ago. Investors cheering on these stronger September numbers out from the gaming company. Daily active users closing in on 58 million. That is up 23 percent from last year. Hours engaged rising to 4 billion. Let's bring in Anthony Bertolacci from Sensor Tower, which tracks key metrics of digital providers. So, Anthony, is it, how much of this is a fundamental shift for Roblox? Yeah. Um, and thanks for having me, Sarah. So I think what we saw in the September numbers is a bit of the end of a, a pattern of a summer swoon where Roblox, because of its younger skewing demographics, does really well during the summer months when, when kids are not at school and they see a bit of a decline in September when real life resumes. And when you look at our data at Sensor Tower from August to September, and obviously when you look at the report that Roblox put out today, 
they did not see such a decline from summer to fall. In fact, Sensor Tower has on the mobile side a slight increase of users from August to September. So that is a bit of a reversal. But as you outlined at the beginning, the stock has been really beaten up this year, down 55, 56% year to date. And that's, that's part of a, a greater industry uh, trend of there being headwinds in in-app purchase revenue from mobile games. The entire category per Sensor Tower data is down about 14% through the first three quarters. And that's on the heels of multiple years of double-digit growth. What about Netflix? What do your numbers show about what we can expect from that stock, which has rallied about 30 percent in the last three months, but still down sharply over the last year? Yeah. So as we look at our third quarter data on Netflix, and Sensor Tower is a few different ways to measure the performance of the Netflix app. We are seeing uh, accelerating declines in active users, which is a number that you might want to benchmark against and total use of the platform. So in the third quarter, we're showing that down um, low double digits year over year, um, an uptick over eight or nine percent losses in the second quarter. Um, and, and I think what stands out to us is, is two things. One is that Netflix started the third quarter on a bit of a hot streak as it was just launching Stranger Things for part two um, in English speaking markets, which was an incredible success. Um, then we saw trends really curtail from there. And second, um, I think there's been a lot of talk about the return to normal hurting a lot of mobile and digital properties. Well, Netflix is not only giving back those pandemic gains from 20 and 21, but Sensor Tower estimates that daily active users on the mobile app are actually down versus 2019, so pre-pandemic times. Okay, one quick question as a user, Anthony, about how what, what these numbers are going to be like. So it's, it's obviously very hit-driven, and I've read your notes, you know, looking at the new Stranger Things, helped Netflix in the beginning. Now we're watching House of Dragons, we, me, and everybody else uh, on HBO. How, 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 much, how much does that create lasting users for people in a difficult economic environment where inflation is very high? Are we seeing more people give up those subscriptions after they've watched the hit shows? Yeah, that, that's a great question and one that we've studied within our data set. So the, the benefit from these pieces of 10-pole content, whether it's Stranger Things, whether it's the Game of Thrones prequel, whether it's Prime having Thursday night football, um, is material, but in the moment. And then we do see it quickly subside. So I think actually the, 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 the rapid nature of the release of these 10-pole pieces of content, and everyone seems to have a flagship show right now, is creating an environment where consumers are incentivized to switch around from various platforms. I will say the one thing that Netflix has going for it is when you look at the Sensor Tower data, it has the lowest rate of churn amongst the big streaming providers, Netflix, uh, Disney, Hulu, Hulu, Amazon, and also um, has the greatest percentage of power users, which is a way to measure user loyalty. So Netflix users are opening the app at a much greater rate than some of its streaming competitors. Got it, thank you very much for joining us. Really interesting Thanks. conversation there, Anthony. The Nasdaq just hitting a fresh high for this session. Take a look. It's up about three and a half percent, more than that right now. The chip stocks are certainly joining the tech rally today. That group beaten down over the past month over worries, over falling demand, those new U.S. export restrictions targeting China. But three semiconductor stocks stand to make an even bigger rebound, according to our next guest. Let's bring in Jed Dorsheimer from William Blair. And they're not the ones, Jed, that we typically talk about the big the big sort of bellwethers in the chip industry what are you choosing hey, and why hey sarah that's right so <clears throat> we're actually looking at silicon carbide which is a compound semiconductor and so this little material has a niche uh that makes electric vehicles 
um, operate more efficiently. So you hear a lot about, uh, you know, limited copper and lithium, and this semiconductor will allow us to do more with less um, to allow that bigger trend to uh, to unlock. So you like what what's in here? Wolf Speed is one is one of the the makers, right? So yeah, if you look at the long term trends here, we like Wolf Speed on semiconductor and um, uh, Air Test Systems, which is a little equipment uh, company. Uh, and we think that those three make up a cohort that will um, that will benefit from roughly a two billion market growing to a twenty billion dollar market over the next uh, eight years. Are they less immune to the cyclical worries about this industry, which which seem to really hit these stocks every time there's a concern about rising rates or or also the geopolitical issues with the export controls around China? Actually, they benefit from a lot of that. So uh, when you hear about reshoring and the geopolitical challenges with China and Taiwan, um, that's prompting the U.S. and the CHIPS Act to look at a reshoring activity. So um, one of the questions is, if you have to reshore and start from scratch, do you go with a leading edge silicon uh, plant? And for analog semiconductors, we don't think you do. So we think that benefits silicon carbide. And they're kind of in a sweet spot of where we think growth is going uh, that benefits from some of the geopolitical uh, turmoil that we're seeing today. Interesting call. Thank you for joining us. Jed Dorsheimer. Thanks for having me. Let's get back to the broader market. Rally building steam. The S&P is up two and three quarters percent as we head into the close. Nancy Tangler, CIO at Laffler Tangler Investments, joins us now. Nancy, what, what do you do as a firm on days like today? Are you in there buying? No, no, we're not, Sarah. Um, we, we try to buy, um, you know, when the market's down, uh, obviously, but uh, that's been tricky, too. So we've, we've got hedges on our portfolio, and we just take a very deliberate approach. We have a list of names we want to buy, and when we get price weakness, we step in and we add to those names. And on a day like today, we just sit back and take a sigh of relief for the moment. Hmm. So you're not convinced that the turbulence we felt in the markets lately is behind us. No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't know how much longer we have to go to work our way out of this. I know there's a lot of people that, um, you know, are, are, are lobbying that this is going to be long lived, uh, this, this bear market. But I, I'm starting to see, we're starting to see inflation, signs of inflation roll over. Um, we're starting to, you know, the economy's still pretty strong. And, you know, the, your interview with Moynihan was, was excellent and pointed out what we've been thinking, which is the consumer's in decent shape. So when you add all that together, that could change, of course. Um, but housing has already rolled over. We've seen the PMIs roll over. Um, money supply is down dramatically. So we think you're going to start to see not a, a return to 2% inflation, but at the margin, an improvement in inflation that will slow the Fed down uh, eventually. And and I'll just say that we're getting closer to that every day. So if you have midterms with divided government, the market's going to like that. If you have a slowdown in the Fed, the market's going to like that. And we'll see what happens in, in, in the Ukraine. But that, that might be ultimately improving in the spring. Yeah, the problem, Mike, is that the market has gotten excited before about the rollover of inflation, only to be fooled when we get these CPI reports that are stubbornly high and the Fed sort of yeah. justified and vindicated when, when the Fed members come out and say that we've still got a lot more work to do. That's true. Uh, although last week's number did come when the market was already in a nervous state uh, and you didn't get see downside follow through on a uh, disappointingly high CPI number. I think it still makes sense to, to think of it as a when rather than if. 
uh, inflation becomes a little bit more friendly, at least, you know, down to a certain level, which we don't know about. Maybe it's going to be closer to where short term rates are and it could be kind of a wait and see moment at that point. But I think the bigger thing is when we see these bank earnings, as Nancy was saying, the, the consumer and Main Street started this whole tightening process in a very advantageous position, whereas the stock market, because of its valuations, uh, did not. And so that's why I think you see a mismatch between Wall Street, Main Street fortunes to this point. Yeah, clearly we've we've seen that with some of the banks, and we'll see what we get from some of the other earnings. So, Nancy, who's on your shopping list? Who's gotten too cheap or levels that you have to step in? So, you know, our list doesn't change very often, so I've talked about some of these names before, but we, we still like uh, many of the software names. So on weakness uh, and on severe weakness, we've added to Adobe. Uh, we add a little bit to Microsoft. We've added to Amazon, um, definitely with a bias towards the cloud and uh, Palo Alto Networks. And then we, we like consumer discretionary. And many of those stocks were the best performers or, or had positive performance in the third quarter. So we, we've, we're starting to nibble back at Home Depot. We added to uh, Chipotle early in the third quarter, along with initiated a position in Lululemon. We still like those names. Uh, mm. it's, it's somewhat counterintuitive, but uh, we think that the, uh, coming out the other side of this, these are the kind of names that you're going to want to own. And energy Nancy still. T- and Sorry. energy still. Well, no, they're all up today. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nancy Tangler. We've got to leave it there again into the close here. Consumer discretionary is the biggest winner in the session right now. It's up popping more than 4%, but... Big gains for Tesla and Amazon will do that, and that is what we are seeing today. Although it is broad, real estate is the second best performer in terms of uh, indexes or sectors. Communication services, technology also doing very well. Consumer staples are at the bottom of the list, but it's up more than 1%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 539 points. Not quite the highs of the day, but still going out strong. The Nasdaq Comp up 3.4%. Thank you, Amazon, which is having a very strong rally, 6.4%. Microsoft, which is also strong, up almost 4%. Apple is up there, up more than 3% today. Tesla, NVIDIA, S&P 500 going out with a gain of 2.6%. After another sell-off last week. That's going to do it for me here on Closing Bell. See you tomorrow, everyone. Now into overtime with Scott Wapner. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.